Hey everyone, and welcome to a special fill-in episode of Marvel by the Month. My name is Brian Stratton, and mine is Rob Milne. So, uh, Rob, we just had our uh, very first ever live show, and, yeah, and we uh, I think we did a pretty good job. I think we stuck the landing. Yeah, uh, we had a good turnout. Um, folks had very nice things to say to us after the show. I felt really good about it. Um, yeah, I, I wish I had more time to hang out when we got done and just meet and talk to more people. <laughs> also, just meeting our guests, like just seeing Joe and JL and, and Levi and yeah. Noah all in the same room. Uh, it was hard to not want to, you know, spend a, a whole like party night just talking to everyone. Yeah, it was pretty wild. It's it's like almost everyone who's ever guested on the podcast was there. Yeah. Um, so uh, so that was great. Uh, Douglas was, as always, uh, a really great uh, guest, um, especially when you're talking about very complex Marvel history, because yeah. the dude just lives and breathes it. Um, it's like a it's it's like trying to watch five minutes of Pulp Fiction and never having seen it before and then have <laughs> Quentin Tarantino show up to explain it to you. Yeah. Um, you know, he can really break it down. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, and Books with Pictures, such a great spot. Um, Katie really set us up well. Um, we had, you know, decent amount of seating there, um, some good like lounging around space and standing around space. Um, and uh, yeah, and we got a good recording out of it. Thanks to JL. Yeah, definitely. Thanks to him, because I did not do well with my <laughs> my particular equipment, which was to capture the live piece. Yeah, um, I did not hit record. Yeah. Total rookie move. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of wild. I was uh, thinking about it as we were editing it all together. And so I think we had four different means of recording the thing. Yeah. And two of them we failed to record <laughs> on. <laughs> yep, yeah. I mean, you could say with some backups that JL had that he didn't engage either. There were right. probably about five different ways we yeah. could record it two of which were working yeah so, yeah two will do yep uh and and i thought the the uh, recorded version came out uh real nice um it's up on the feed uh, it's the episode before this one um if you haven't checked it out yet uh please do yeah um i flubbed my usual amount but it was great you know, it yeah it still went fine man you doing uh marvel by the minute live i think was one of my highlights of the show <laughs> and just getting the crowd to count down and just increase the pressure on you exponentially it was weirdly more fun for me to at least hear people laughing at my pain um <laughs> rather than just being tortured you know silently right right um, yeah. so watching people be highly amused at me just stammering and pointing at things uh it worked out well yeah yeah no it was a lot of fun um and it was also uh, our season two finale so you know when we plan these things out um we have a stretch of you know so far it's been like 15 to 20 episodes uh, that we consider a quote-unquote season it's not exactly an arbitrary break but uh like the first season went from fantastic four number one to um just before the avengers show up mm -hmm. um and then season two was uh the avengers forming running all the way to the Avengers having the big roster change where uh, everyone's out except Captain America. And all, some villains. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like all the founding Avengers are gone. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's three supervillains and Captain America. So that was season two, um, and we are uh, in the process of figuring out how season three is going to work. and Which makes this technically limbo. This right? is technically limbo, yes. Yeah. We're, I, I think we're calling it season two but it's it's in between it's right in, yeah um <laughs> it, this is the floaty space uh in between everything um i know how season three is going to end um, oh. there's a very pivotal storyline that 
plays out over three issues in Fantastic Four. And if you know anything about 1960s Fantastic Four and, and major three issue arcs, you probably can guess uh, where we're going to end. Uh, but um, we're still trying to figure out uh, exactly, you know, we're going to tweak the format a little bit. Um, we're going to see uh, who we can sucker on uh, to the show and have them be guests. <laughs> Um, so we're just going to have some fun, uh, while we're doing that, um, and do a couple of these kind of one-off fill-in episodes where we're stepping out of the month-to-month continuity, um, and just, uh, doing rando topics. So yeah. So what are we doing this week? So nothing gets more rando than what if, yes, uh, that is, it's, we've mentioned it before, but for people who haven't read a lot of comics, what if is the, it's just things they they posit like what if something didn't happen the same way and this whole parallel universe has a different outcome yeah um, or many different outcomes so uh, this and it's cool I do I didn't realize how much it's based on this parallel universe concept right right out of the gate yeah uh, so just to give a little backstory on what what if uh, was what there, so there was actually a comic series called what if it started up in 1977. Um, so this means for the first time, we're going to actually be talking about comics that came out after we were born. <laughs> it's so um, weird. I know. Uh, so, uh, a, a fellow by the name of Archie Goodwin was editor in chief of Marvel at the time. Uh, Roy Thomas, who was a former editor in chief, uh, and, and writer for Marvel, uh, was the editor of the book. Um, he was the one who came up with the concept. Um, and I'm just going to read a little bit uh, of an excerpt from uh, an essay that he wrote for the back of uh, What If Number One um, that's going to uh, give us a little bit of uh, insight into what his thinking was and, and how he came up with the idea. So he's talking about um, uh, Stan Lee being one of his mentors, um, and he said, There are a lot of simple maxims he taught me which have stood me in good stead over the years. Most of them I won't go into here. But one, which I believe Stan uh, referred to in a soapbox sometime or other, was the what-if maxim. The way he would plot most of those early issues, he said, was simply to ask himself the kinds of questions the readers must be asking themselves. What if, for instance, Thor and the Hulk fought it out to see which one of them was the most powerful? What if the Fantastic Four went broke? Remember that one? A real (laughs) landmark. What if some of the Avengers left the lineup and other superheroes joined? What if... But we think you follow the general idea. Only one problem with that approach, there are some stories you just can't do, not without invalidating the basic premise of the series, or at least altering it forever after. Our competitors, years before, had come up with their own answer by doing so-called imaginary stories. Many older readers deplored them, though of course they were hardly the ones the tales were written for. Me, I rather liked the idea, at least at first. Of course, when every second or third story became an imaginary tale... Its newness and appeal paled. Uh, Thus, not long ago, when I was trying to come up with a format for a special new 50-cent title, woo, I could write and edit, I decided I wanted to deal with the kinds of stories we just couldn't in our normal books. But, and this was the hard part, I didn't want them to be imaginary stories in the time-dishonored sense. Also, I felt that I, along with several other science fiction-oriented Marvel scripters, had recently been overusing the idea of the parallel world, the second Earth. So I decided that my series could become, hopefully, the main, if not only, place in Marvel for a while where such parallel world stories would take place. I'd forgo from doing them, and I'd hope that, so as not to compete unduly with a 50-cent mag, others might do the same. And to make the series palatable as much to myself as anyone else, I would have the wondrous Watcher narrate the stories. 
That way, as you already know, these stories are the ones which actually do take place, not in our dimension or time continuum, but in worlds coexisting alongside ours, of which there are theoretically untold billions. Thus, the stories don't happen in our world, but they do happen. They're as real in their own way as any of the parallel world stories which have appeared in Fantastic Four, Avengers, or anywhere else. So so that's the idea, generally. Um, so that these are part of the Marvel multiverse of stories. Yeah, um, I do like that uh, because if you're if you're going to s- start the what if it's it's basically the premise of you have this continuity and this episodic tale, but then something happens that was only a dream, right? And you're you feel like you if you're invested in that episodic tale, yeah. the only a dream is really annoying. Yes. Uh, so if you find a place to have those live and still make them feel valid, right then that's what they've done, you know? Well, yeah, there's still stakes there. It's a neat trick. Um, you know, Alan Moore uh, wrote one of the most famous uh, imaginary stories for DC, which was the Superman story, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, where it was right after Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it was just basically extrapolating, like, what happens at the end of Superman's Supermanning. Um and he leads it off with a, uh, a preface that says something like, you know, this is an imaginary story, but then again, aren't they all? Um, which is a great line. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I do like the fact that, um, you know, these are these do take place on a Marvel Earth, just not the 616. Right. Not ours. Yeah. Which is also uh, uh, Alan Moore was the one who came up with Earth 616. Yeah. Which so. for I think we've mentioned this to our listeners before, but if you don't know, that is and they've mentioned it in the Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, the very recent uh, Far From Home movie. Um, that's where Mysterio claims to be from an alternate yes. universe, not 616 and right. uses that term. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so the the universe that we have been talking about, the Marvel universe we've been talking about, is what will be known as the six one six. And uh, as we talk about, um, we've got three what if stories that we're going to be talking about, um, and uh, each one of them takes place in another uh, Marvel universe. Um, so the three stories that we've got here um, that we're going to cover this week. Uh, the first one is what if Spider Man had joined the Fantastic Four. The second is, what if the Avengers had never been? And the third is, what if someone else had become the Amazing Spider-Man? And all of these are basically alternate histories um, of things that we have already read and discussed on the podcast. So uh, if you've been listening along, I don't think you need any backstory. Right, and Um, it fits in very well with what Douglas was filling us in on the the future retconning of 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 sort of backstory between panels of the things we just talked about in the last episode. Um, This is exploring things we've talked about in previous episodes in a different way entirely though. Yeah. 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 So uh, we're going to go ahead and um, take our first break here. And when we come back, um, we are going to talk about what would have happened if Spider-Man had joined the fantastic four. Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. We are doing our special What If fill-in episode. Uh, The first story we're going to be talking about is What If Spider-Man Had Joined the Fantastic Four. Uh, This comes from What If Number One, which is written by Roy Thomas, with art by Jim Craig, uh, inked by Pablo Marcos. Um, And uh, this story takes place on Earth 772. (laughs) I don't know where that came from, but our friends at the Marvel Wiki 
say that that's where it's from. I'm so. guessing somebody's gone through and labeled all of these. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you want to uh, you want to kick us off and and uh, just give us a little outline of where this all diverges from our Earth six one six reality. Yeah. I mean, it really boils down to um, you know the Fantastic Four happened the normal way. P- Peter Parker gets bitten by a spider the normal way, uh, but in the first issue or the first issue of Spider-Man, right? Um, uh, he goes to pitch himself to uh, the Fantastic Four to get a job, and they right. turn him down. Or they say, you know, we're, we're a nonprofit, basically. Right. <laughs> this so, is in General Motors. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and then he leaves. Yep. And uh, so right where it turns is uh, Sue calls out to him and asks him to come back. And from there... They, they negotiate uh, bringing him on. Yeah, uh, Reed basically has a little change of heart once he realizes that, um, you know, Sue uh, thinks it's a good idea um, to give him a shot. Um, and, you know, Spider-Man's like, look, I'm not trying to be greedy here. I just need a little bit of money uh, to make this worth my while. And <laughs> Reed says, Besides, I, I have been considering providing some way to dole out more spending money to you others. So, <laughs> so this, you know, thanks, Dad. Uh, <laughs> uh, one important thing that happens almost immediately as they negotiate the partnership is they ask him to unmask. Yeah. So they so Peter Parker has to struggle with revealing his identity to somebody else. And uh, yeah. And this is the first time. I mean, I think in his where we're at right now um in earth 616 continuity like he hasn't revealed his identity like no one knows his identity at this point uh yeah i don't i don't remember if yeah i don't think anybody even a villain has inadvertently learned it at this point no and so uh you know the fact that you know this is already a major departure where he's having to entrust his identity to his new partners here um and so uh they, um, uh, the Fantastic Four, uh, hold a press conference and they rip off the fours on their costumes and they have fives on there. Mm-hmm. And then they introduce Spider Man. Um, and there's a great little scene where, you know, J. Jonah Jameson tries to kick up a fuss about it. Um, and, uh, Reed says he's given, uh, Spider Man, he's got him NASA clearance. Yes. And so then JJ has to flip his, uh, story and say he's there to endorse spidey yes uh and uh and it's totally different and i do love there's a bunch of little references in here too um as he's entering the baxter building there's a photographer that says like it's the spider-man what a bonus i'll get for this shot yeah and there's a there's three or four of these peppered throughout the story where there's some mention of not being able to get good shots of superheroes or spider-man yep uh and so that's the main thing this universe lacks Peter Parker, yeah, the photojournalist. Yep, absolutely. Um, and it also means that uh, J. Jonah Jameson doesn't become an anti-superhero crusader, or specifically an anti-Spider-Man crusader. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other uh, repercussion we see immediately is uh, the chameleon is watching all of this take place on a monitor. And yeah, he says, uh, I had planned to impersonate Spider-Man and implicate him in my own crimes, but with Reed Richards having cleared him, that's out. Right. So now... <laughs> Like, uh, so chameleons off the board as a villain, um, immediately and, and not because of anything anyone did just that's the way, you know, so this is what I really love about what if stories is the ones the really well-crafted ones really go into the original continuity and they just show the ripple effects of, yeah. you know, what if you change this one little thing, which is like, it's a great science fiction. Pre- I mean, that's ultimately what science fiction is. It's like, what if you take the world, you know, you change one thing about it. What are the consequences? Right. Yeah. And in this, uh, and it, and it does, uh, 
rapidly explore a bunch of them. And some of these work better than others. I think this issue works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so immediately, uh, or shortly thereafter, Peter Parker um, runs into the Vulture, but he's with the Fantastic Five now. Yeah. So uh, he, I, you know, I was, they didn't really get into this, but he didn't invent the, the sort of magnetic inverters or whatever he used right. to to stop the vulture from flying. Yeah, he doesn't get beat up several times by right. the vulture. He yeah. just Johnny melts some of the vulture's wings because they've got a flying person on their team. Yeah, so yeah. exactly. He just blasts him with flame, and it's like, well, the vulture's career is over. Yep, like before it's it begins. Just and that's done in like two pages. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> and that, that took what like you know the full issue of Spider-Man number two. Yeah, so. I feel like the this the ripple effects of this universe are like many like half of the villain just never get anywhere they're yeah. just done yep exactly uh so then we fast forward a little bit to um a story that we originally saw in fantastic four number 13 where um if you remember in that story both uh reed richards and ivan Kragoff, uh the red ghost have pioneered this new propulsion device to get them to the moon uh so they independently uh fly up there in their own rockets uh and then the fantastic four and the Red Ghost and his super apes uh, duke it out on the moon, and this is where they discover the Watcher. Um, so that's how it goes down in 616. It goes pretty much the same for that fight. Right. right? Like, Red Ghost gets away. Yes. Um, I thought there was going to be some twist because he only brought, like, three apes with him. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Huh. But the uh, the twist in, in uh, the what-if here, though, is that um, the Fantastic Four's rocket still only uh, can take four passengers. So Sue stays home. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it, basically Spider-Man replaces Sue uh, in the story. Um, and uh, as the four members of the Fantastic Five are returning to Earth, uh, they're talking about uh, the uh, adventure they just had on the moon. And uh, Reed says, uh, in a way, I wish Sue were here, but basically I'm glad she wasn't along on this dangerous mission, especially since we four proved enough to handle it. <laughs> so that winds up coming back later on in this story um, yeah. because as the Fantastic Four are landing, um, she gets a mental summons from Namor, um, as she did in uh, Fantastic Four 14, when the puppet master was controlling Namor this is one of the many times he kidnaps her and brings right. her this to the is, bottom of this the ocean. Is one time when it's not exactly Namor's fault that he kidnapped her, but uh, <laughs> he uses the hypno fish, which is pretty cool to see again. Yep. Um, and uh, he, yeah, he takes her to the the bottom of the ocean. So this is a this is the puppet master setting up a big trap for the Fantastic Four, um, and of course Reed's just as angry as he was in the original. They all head down with Spider Man, um, which. It doesn't seem to do a huge amount of difference in fighting Namor no. for a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We still got the giant Kraken. We still got the giant clam that uh, grabs the Fantastic Four ship. Um, still got a big fight with Namor. He uses uh, all the same techniques and weapons. He uses the big, like, spongy stick thing to, that like... Defeats flaming power. Yeah. Right, right. And However, he, Johnny does land well because he was he learned a move from Spider-Man. Yes. So there's just a little <laughs> weird peppering there. Yeah, but he uses all of his aquatic weaponry uh, against the Fantastic Four. It's pretty much the same. Um, and uh, uh, just as we've seen before, the uh, squid winds up dragging the puppet master down um, to the, the depths of the ocean, which breaks his control over Namor. Um, so it looks like everything's going to turn out pretty much the same way it did um, in Fantastic Four 14. 
But in, yeah, in a this was a bit of a stretch for me in this universe. But you know, uh, Sue wasn't in on a couple of mind blowing experiences. Uh, she decides to stay with Namor. Yeah. So uh, that she she hopes to and Reed is you know heartbroken, but he also thinks well having this you know voice of reason next to Namor's ear could probably only help humanity going forward right. or the world. Yeah. You know, she says, uh, Reed's shown me that he doesn't need me and neither does the FF. So I choose Namor. Um, and so, you know, like you said, there's an element of, well, maybe if she's down there, she can kind of like temper his, you know, anti-surface world impulses, um, you know, and, and all that. Um, but, uh, yeah, basically, uh, Namor puts her in a special device, which turns her into a water breather. Um, and, uh, the four members of the fantastic five, which I guess now they're going to be the fantastic four yeah. again, but, <laughs> um, they head back to the surface you know, at the very end of it. Um, Spider-Man is kind of beating himself up a little bit, uh, about the way things turned out. He said, maybe if I hadn't joined the FF, upstaged her so that she felt left out, things might have gone differently. And the torch says, don't talk nutty, webhead. It's like, fate, kismet. <laughs> then yeah. there's nothing any of us can do about it. If you'd never joined the FF, things would probably have worked out exactly the same. <laughs> that sounds like a Johnny thing to say. <laughs> yep, because it's dumb and wrong. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that wraps up our first what if story. Um, let's go ahead and take a break, uh, and then we will come back uh, with our next story. Uh, what if the Avengers had never been here on Marvel by the Month? Welcome back to our special fill-in episode of Marvel by the Month. We are talking what if stories. Um, the next one we're going to talk about is what if number three. The story is called What If the Avengers Had Never Been. It's written by Jim Shooter, co-plotted and penciled by Gil Kane, uh, inked by Klaus Jansen, who we met at Rose City Comic Con last yeah. year and was a nice guy. Yes, he was. Happy to report. Um, uh, so this one uh, apparently takes place on Earth 776. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> we trust you, Marvel it's Wiki. Penciled by Gil Kane. That's pretty notable. Oh, of man. Yeah. Batman fame. Yep. Yeah, I, I love the, the Gil Kane pencils uh, and the Claus Jansen inks on this are just awesome. Um, I, I will just say before we get rolling, full disclosure, of the three uh, issues that we read this week, this is probably, I think, the least strong of all of them. Yeah, um, there's a lot of larger leaps there like yeah <laughs> and not just because the hulk's involved yeah oh ta -ta. um i did notice one weird thing um early on we're, we see a meeting of uh right after the hulk has left mm -hmm. which happened in uh, i forget which <laughs> issue uh, of avengers in number two number yeah, two second issue um oh yeah uh so we do see the wasp sitting there at normal size with her wings, which I thought only oh. came out when she was small. Well, you see, on Earth 776, that's not <laughs> how her powers work. No prize, please. Oh, yeah. I guess we can tell that what if story. Yes. What if Henry Pym was a better scientist? <laughs> not, not a much better scientist. <laughs> Just a little better. Uh, so, yeah, this, this story runs pretty much uh, right along with uh, the original. There's the Hulk leaves. 
he he doesn't want to be around anyone. He's very upset. Right, because they have just fought the Space Phantom, who has been impersonating individual Avengers. Uh, and then they finally figure out what's going on. Um, and uh, But, you know, once they defeat the Space Phantom, the Hulk is very upset because it was really obvious that the Avengers were just going after him. Right. You they, know? they When somebody else was being impersonated, everyone had questions. But when it was the Hulk, they're like, well, yeah, it's the Hulk. He's a total jerk. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So he realized what they really thought of him. In that. Right. So so the aftermath of that in the in the 616 version of the story is that uh, it's like, OK, well, we've lost the Hulk, but, you know, we're still, um, you know, Giant Man, the Wasp, Thor and Iron Man. That's still a super team. We're going to uh, stick together on this one. Um, but uh, in this version of the story, uh, uh, like in the original, um, Iron Man says we got to go after the Hulk, um, but uh, <laughs> Thor uh, winds up. Um, uh, uh, Thor and Giant Man um, basically kick up a fuss about this, um, and you know Giant Man points out he says this is a strictly a volunteer organization. We can't force the Hulk to stay, uh, and Thor agrees with him. He said Giant Man's words ring true. So says Thor. None of us are bound by oath. Um, and so Iron Man gets mad, calls mm-hmm. him, calls Thor long hair. Yep. Um, which I, I take umbrage at. He says, go ahead and quit long hair. I've just about had it with your blasted superiority complex anyway. Yep. Um, and, and Thor actually does, he like tries to, you know, be cool about it in his Thor way and says, right. stay your bitterness, Iron Man. Um, you cannot know what it means to be a God. So he's trying to, you know, yeah. But he is a god. Stooped down to the mortals. Um, but then he takes off. Yeah. So, uh, and then this is this has the first of uh, several just casual asides to it, it's a, I think it's a very authentic, um, but still kind of obnoxious, uh, like treatment of the wasp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is written in seventy seven, but Shooter is doing a pretty nineteen sixty three accurate uh, <laughs> version of what she was like. So. Uh, you know, after Thor leaves, uh, Iron Man says, I suppose uh, uh, still you and I might accomplish a lot together, giant man. And the Wasp was like, hey, the Wasp is still here. Don't forget <laughs> me. <laughs> and, it, then, and then uh, Hank immediately follows up on the next page and says, quiet, Jan, this is serious. <laughs> which, yeah, happens. Th- this happens a number of times. Uh, just the dismissal of the Wasp, which also reminds me in, in the FF issue, there was a whatever you say, read right. when, when Sue has to stay behind. Yes. She just says, okay. Yep. Um, yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, moving on. Yeah. Uh, so things proceed. So even though the Avengers split up, uh, things proceed with the Hulk pretty much as they did, uh, in the original stories. Um, he winds up going to the Southwest. Uh, well, he also goes to the Antarctica eventually, right? That's so right. Yeah. Yeah. He meets up with Namor there. Right. And they, decide to just as they did in the comics uh, in the 616 comics to join uh, join up together to beat the avengers right yeah first they fight and then they're like wait we could take over the world together um so they issue a challenge to the avengers because they don't know the avengers have broken up yet so iron man gets the call and is like uh yeah everybody's here so we're gonna just go ahead and take we're going to fight you yeah. we'll be there soon right and then just starts trying to figure out what he's really gonna do yeah so what he decides to do is uh, he whips up suits of armor for uh, Hank Pym, Jan Van Dyne, and Rick Jones. Uh, they're, and they're like Iron Man types of 
armor suits. Uh, but each one has like special powers, which so this right here, I didn't quite understand the logic behind this. This because, is one of the logic leaps. Right. Me. And like, the giant man, there's a giant armor and there's a small right, wasp armor. So right. they're going to be stuck in that. Size. So they still have their powers. But they can't use their powers but, because they're in armor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Um, anyway, so uh, everyone tries on their armor, um, but no one can get the hang of it. Uh, and, and Iron Man has been working flat out for several days to like get all these things up and running. So his patience is shot um, and uh, he gets angry with them. Uh, and once again, everyone takes off in a huff uh, because he can't control himself. So, And they leave their armor behind. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, so Iron Man decides he's going to go uh, fight Namor and the Hulk alone. But yeah. before he does that, he uh, does some kind of like overclocking on his uh, CPU. Yes. He uh, basically gets the most power he's ever had uh, in his armor, which he knows is possibly going to endanger his life. Right. Uh, but he does also leave, a, you know, a supply to mainly just deal with his chest device too, to right. keep the shrapnel from his heart. And then yeah. he heads out. Yep. And so he, he told, uh, the other three, he's like, well, fine, I guess I'll just ask the fantastic four for help or something like that. Um, and he goes to, uh, to face the Hulk and, uh, Submariner. Um, but, uh, Rick Jones points out a little bit later. Um, he's like, wait, does Iron Man seem like the kind of guy who would really ever ask for help or, like, or pass the buck to someone else? Right. Um, and it's a good thing that they realize that he's not that kind of guy because even though he has a pretty good showing of himself, um, I mean, it's still the Hulk and Submariner. Like, they just kick the crap out of him. Right, right. Yeah. He, does, he does get them a couple of times with some speed yep. and some power. Yep. But it's just you're way overpowered and he's on a small island surrounded by water which is pretty handy for Namor. Right. Yep. Yeah. So uh, just as things are looking very bleak, um, the uh, other three uh, armored Avengers show up and uh, they somehow have miraculously figured out how to work this armor way better <laughs> than they did, you know, uh, a few hours ago. Um, the wasp uh, shoots some, some kind of knockout needles into namor yep um slows him way down yep giant man is a giant iron man basically um and uh rick jones has uh he can make himself intangible right that's that was a big leap too from from yep. all of the powers and inventions thus far from tony stark to have this sort of precursor of a vision type of you can change the <laughs> the de molecular density of yourself uh, that was that was a pretty big leap. Yes. So they they managed to uh, fight Namor off. Um, he decides he's like, screw it. This is not worth it. I'm heading back to Atlantis. So then it's just the Hulk. Giant Man seems like he's he's uh, doing pretty well. Um, but then uh, the Hulk just beats the tar out of him <laughs> um, and uh, is just. Uh, he looks like he's killed him. Uh, and that's what Wasp thinks has happened. Uh, meanwhile, like Iron Man is also um, in a shambles. He sees that Giant Man's not breathing. Um, uh, the Hulk knocked the wind out of him. His power is exhausted. His armor's just dead weight and he can't breathe. So Iron Man takes his reserve power that right. he was saving to keep the shrapnel from his heart and uses that to repower up the giant man, ar Iron Man armor. Yes. The giant Iron Man armor. Uh, which allows um, Iron Man to turn the tables a bit on the Hulk, except 
Namor returns. Yes. Uh, and when Namor returns, he starts beating up Rick Jones, who's in his armor too. Um, but, and he really starts to beat him up to kill him is yeah. his goal. Yeah. And Hulk somehow figures this out. He hears, he recognizes the sound of Rick Jones screaming. I recognize those screams of panic. <laughs> so that, uh, that makes the Hulk jump into, um, help Rick and very angry at Namor. Yeah. So that, that changes this whole, this is the big <clears throat> change in the yeah. story. Yeah. So the two of the, so, uh, Namor and the Hulk, uh, they, they fight into the ocean and they go their separate ways. Um, the Avengers are saved except for the one who brought them all together. Uh, Iron Man, uh, Tony Stark, uh, because he used up the last of his power, his the shrapnel reached his heart and it killed him. Um, and so the other three bow their heads uh, in mourning for their fallen hero and mm-hmm. leader. Um, and uh, that's how the story ends. Right. Um, the, and just to imagine the, the repercussions of... Uh, of no Tony Stark in the, mm-hmm. in the Marvel universe. I mean, maybe in the seventies that didn't matter too right. much. Yeah. Still, because I remember a lot of Iron Man stories that didn't matter. Right. But, uh, yeah. His character really became something in the two thousands and on. I mean, to the whole universe, to the six one six universe. So, yeah. Uh, that, the, that is unimaginable repercussions to not have him there. Yeah. And that's another fun thing about like the what if issues is, you know, so this one, you know, it, it's basically one, you know, one big fight. It's, it's a retelling of two issues of the Avengers. Um, and it's limited to just that, but you know, once you establish this, like, okay, this is taking place in its own reality. And with what we know about everything else that's in play, like you were just saying, like if you extrapolate out from there, well, what happens if there's no Tony Stark? Well, right. you know, all these things don't happen. And, you know, uh, yeah. So it that had to be great for kids or, you know, young adults reading these too. If they didn't have a lot of exposure to science fiction, right. Where these premises were more, you know, happened more often, but, uh, they were able to take these stories that they've been reading and invested in and now start to imagine more, which I think only makes, future comic book writers yes uh, yes exactly or or science fiction writers or writers that i read most of yep yeah totally yeah um yeah i mean it just absolutely it gets your brain firing in a million different ways um which is you know what a good comic book should be doing absolutely but you know when you open when you open the possibilities up like this you just get so many more cool things out of it (laughs) yep yeah Okay, so that wraps up our second issue of What If. Um, We're going to take one final break. Uh, We've got one more of these in the tank. What if someone else besides Spider-Man had been bitten by the radioactive spider? Well, stay tuned. Okay, welcome back to the special What If fill-in issue of Marvel by the Month. We've got one final issue to be talking about here. It's What If number seven. The story is, what if someone else had become the Amazing Spider-Man? But it's not just one story. Oh, no. No. We've got three stories. Uh, It's three short stories in one comic. Um, And uh, so, you know, it's exactly what it says in the box. Um, If someone other than Peter Parker had been bitten by the spider and gotten the spider powers. So first we uh, learned about what would happen if Flash Thompson had been bitten, uh, then Betty Brant, and then Colonel John Jameson. Um, 
That so, one seemed more far fetched, but uh, yeah, uh, for him just showing up at the occasion. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, these take place uh, in uh, respectively in Earth seven eight one two seven seven eight two two seven and seven eight three two seven. Okay. If you say so, and so, and this is uh, what if I think you said what if number seven already. Yeah. Uh, the, the, a funny thing on the cover is within we we just read issue one, three, and seven yeah. of this series by seven. They were monthly and sixty cents yeah. instead of fifty cents. <laughs> yeah, the cover price had gone up twenty percent <laughs> in a year. Uh, that's inflation, that kids. People were probably enjoying these. Yeah, or you know. Uh, Jimmy Carter <laughs> or, or Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, uh, the whole issue is, uh, all three stories are written by Don Glutt. The art is by Rick Hoberg, uh, inked by Sam Granger. Um, so why don't you, uh, lead us in, uh, tell us a little bit about what happens, uh, when Flash Thompson, first of all, how does Flash Thompson get bit by a radioactive spider? Well, he's a uh, busy bullying Peter Parker at the science exhibit. Cause Peter, uh, in the, in this initial, um, in the original story, he uh, did say at, to to I think Liz and um, and Flash and a group of people, you guys want to come to see this science experiment? Yeah. And uh, everyone, of course, said no. And dweeb, basically. And uh, instead, this in this instance, they do show up, and Flash just elbows Peter Parker out of the way as the uh, the big radioactive um, whatever emitters are going off, and. Uh, then ends up immediately getting bit and he's got like two ladies with him. He's just trying to impress them. Yep. Uh, and then he heads off. Um, Peter does, uh, being the scientist that he is, picks up the dead spider. Yes. That's totally radioactive. Doesn't tell anybody <laughs> yep. and takes off with it. Yeah. Um, and so the rest of this, uh, plays out pretty similarly to, um, how uh, Peter Parker's Spider-Man origin goes in amazing fantasy number 15. Um, there's, a couple pretty grim <laughs> uh, differences. differences. Yeah. Uh, the first is that, um, so like Peter Parker, uh, Flash sees uh, the sign advertising, uh, if you can last uh, three minutes in the ring with Crusher Hogan, um, you can win a cash prize. Uh, and so, you know, Peter Parker, uh, when he did it, he uh, wore a mask and... Uh, got into the ring and you know he just kind of uh embarrassed crusher hogan well flash is showing off and um you no know, mask because he wants to take the credit of yeah course. exactly well that's the other thing he has no secret identity um and uh yeah because he's he's a tough guy bully um he uh squeezes and squeezes and breaks crusher hogan's neck and kills him yeah um and that's the beginning of Flash's life on the run from the law. <laughs> right. And it seems like Flash, there there are a couple things right before that. Like Flash, um, when Peter Parker almost gets hit by a car right after he gets the spider bite, mm -hmm. um, he jumps up and sticks to a wall. Right. So he immediately realizes his dexterity yep. and this these other powers. Flash just basically sort of pushes the ladies out of the way and knocks the car out of the way. Right. Uh, yep. And he's, he's just all about raw power. Yeah. So that's then the the Hogan incident just yeah. <laughs> reinforces that uh, only when he's trying to run from the law after killing uh, Crusher Hogan, does he stick to a wall and figure that out? Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, starts to figure out this other, you know, um, this other life. But and he also then has to decide to wear a costume and a mask because he's an outlaw. Yep. Cause he's committed at the very least manslaughter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
So, and he does realize that he's committed the crime, but he doesn't uh, seem to own up to it. Much. Oh, he has no sense of consequence or response. There, there's no responsibility going with this great power. So um, he then gets a costume. Uh, he does still show most of his hair and his chin and nose. <laughs> yes. And calls himself Captain Spider. Yeah, because he's uh, he's still as creative as the Flash Thompson of Earth 616. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and so, then he just beats down every villain that you might expect that happened in the early Spider-Man comics. Yeah, so he uh, like like uh, Peter Parker did in uh, Spider-Man number one. Uh, he takes out the Chameleon. He takes out the Tinkerer, um, and then uh, he gets to Spider-Man number two when the Vulture shows up. Um, and this is where Flash runs into some trouble. So, uh, because he's not a science whiz, he never, um, bothered to, you know, create web shooters or, uh, had definitely did not have the technical expertise to create a disruptor that would, um, <laughs> right. disable the vulture's wings. So, um, basically, uh, vulture just grabs him and flies into the sky and kicks him in the face kicks him in the face and he plummets to his death and that's the end of captain spider yep so and we just have peter parker discovering the body yeah. um and uh and being pretty saddened yeah. you know it's sort of the opposite where peter has more respect for flash because he was a hero even though he was a pretty bad hero yeah yeah uh and that uh, yeah that's how it wraps up it's yeah. just um and that was where I thought I was done reading the issue because I'd already forgotten the cover. <laughs> and then suddenly I'm like, wait, what? We're going back to the experiment again? Yeah. So here we go. Round two. <laughs> uh, so what happens if Betty Brant had gotten bitten by the radioactive spider? Well, uh, so Betty is accompanying uh, Jonah Jameson to the science exposition. She may have been there in the background in Amazing Fantasy number 15. You know, maybe the camera just wasn't focusing on her. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh uh, Jameson kind of, uh, elbows his way to the front. Um, and, uh, Betty gets, uh, she's basically standing where Peter had been standing in earth 616. The spider drops, lands in her hand, bites her. Um, she doesn't feel so good. Uh, Peter takes her out for coffee after basically shaming Jonah into letting her take the afternoon off because she's obviously not feeling well. Um, and, uh, she gets so fired up, uh, talking about how much she hates working for Jonah, that she breaks the table in half <laughs> with her newfound spider strength. And, uh, and from there, that's where Peter being right there starts to, uh, you know, inform, maybe you should use this for good. Yeah. Helping people. Uh, but first you should learn how to use your powers. <laughs> this is where you start to realize Peter was pretty smart. Yeah. So that really helped him yep. do this. Uh, so she, puts on some leotards and starts figuring out how to, you know, lift couches, stick on walls, bounce around. Um, and he then starts building gadgets for her. Yeah. So she gets web shooters yeah. because he builds web shooters yeah. for her. So the, and she uh, makes her own costume, which is weird. Which is real skimpy. Um, <laughs> it, this is... So it's it's Spider-Man's full face mask uh, and, and hood, like, but then... And boots... And, and boots gloves. and gloves and uh, what air for uh, armpit webs, yeah, the, <laughs> the armpit webs, the armpit webs. But then like super skimpy one piece bikini. Yeah. Like Vampirella style. Yeah. Uh, like totally split down the middle, wide open. Yeah. Cleavage area. Yeah. Although with some webbing in there. So it does make it look like I do like how it seems like sort of a hairy chest. <laughs> 
and a hairy armpit. So yes. it's like a, it's got a very weird yeah. vibe to it. Yeah. Um, uh, so Peter starts taking pictures of her in action too. Yeah. So this does get photojournalist Peter Parker a job. Yep. And uh, she goes into action as the amazing spider girl. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and, and there's a, there's a double angle to him getting these pictures of her because, uh, first of all, she's a crime fighter. So it's the same reason that Jonah wants to buy, you know, photos of Spider-Man and Earth 616, but also she's half naked, uh, and she's a good looking woman. Um, so, you know, they're just, uh, yeah, they're, they're getting some, uh, what, what do they call it? Leg art. I think that was, yep, yeah, that was the <laughs> leg art angle. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so oh, apparently that's a thing that used to be a thing. Yeah. And so Jay, it is, uh, I don't know if we exactly clarified that JJ still finds her as a menace. Right. So he's, um, he, anybody who is the spider vigilante in any universe, uh, for the most part yeah, is going to yeah. be deemed yeah. a menace. Um, so she's, and the one thing about her is she's constantly worried about using her super strength. So this is sort of the opposite of Flash. She understands that she could easily kill someone. Right. So she tries to do lots of things to not use the strength. Right. She leans really heavily on the web shooters. Um, and uh, this backfires where um, uh, they, uh, Peter is shooting uh, some photos of her uh, in a back alley. Um demonstrating her powers uh, a uh, thief runs by uh, the two of them um, she isn't able to stop the thief because she's out of web fluid and like you said she's not using her spider strength um, so the thief gets away um, and uh, Peter and Betty uh, head back to um, Ant-Man Uncle Ben's house uh, and history repeats itself tragically that that thief killed Uncle Ben yep um, and as they realize this, Betty becomes very angry as she hears about where the criminal is and then puts on the costume and goes and just like the original Spider-Man, yeah. um, menaces this crook, finds out that it was the person that they let go earlier is wrought with guilt. Yeah. And, uh, and this page is great. It's a, like literally a panel for panel shot for shot. Uh, recreation of amazing fantasy 15 um like it, it, it's just you know spider girl instead of spider man but everything else is unchanged even right down to the pupils on the spider man mask when she yeah. <laughs> figures out who the uh the criminal was um so nice little bit of ditko tribute there yeah and then they just wrap it uh, they wrap it up very quickly. She comes back. This guilt is so heavy that she does not want to be spider girl anymore. Yeah. And she throws the costume in the trash. Um, and this is, uh, another tribute. So this is a tribute to a John Romita, a very famous John Romita, uh, panel, or I think cover also. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so there's like a, a Spider-Man no more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a upcoming arc that we'll get to in, in, um, um, future episodes uh, that's called uh, Spider-Man No More, which goes from uh, Amazing Spider-Man 50 to 52. Um, uh, but yeah, that's taken straight from there. So uh, again, like this is one of the things I really like when, when a what if story uh, is paying a lot of attention to the details and like recreating familiar history with a slight twist. I think the more it does that, yeah, the more it succeeds. Yeah. The, the, the notes that are familiar, it's like, it's like the man in the high castle or something. Yeah, it's, exactly. Uh, you yep. know, it's, uh, it's sort of historical. So you want to hit these notes, but you want to show how a different person or a different circumstance yep. 
ripples. Totally. Um, and then we, again, I, I had forgotten the cover and I was like, well, that's it. Yep. Um, and then we go back to the science experiment again. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> so I, I think this is the probably the least interesting of the three. Um, but th- so the concept is um, John Jameson, Jonah Jameson's son, uh, the astronaut who uh, Peter Parker rescues in Amazing Spider-Man number one. Uh, he's at the uh, the science experiment. Um, he gets the spider, um, uh, the spider bite. Um, and then, uh, he realizes he's got these powers, um, and he, uh, he wanted know, to use them for the space program. Right. Yeah. But his dad's like, no, 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 you're going to be a hero. So ironically, <laughs> we've got Jonah. He, Jonah is responsible for the origin of Spider-Man in this universe mm-hmm. or, uh, uh, as he calls himself, uh, spider Jameson, the super astronaut. Right. Okay. Because, because JJ named him. John uh, has a costume made up where it's like basically a spider-man version of a uh astronaut's uh suit yep um that the bugle pays for that the bugle pays for as a promotional expense um his friends from nasa give him a jetpack so again no webs uh web shooters yep um and uh i do like a there's a cover of the daily bugle with spider jameson stops payroll theft and then it shows and JJ in the front, yes. and it says publisher Jameson and son yeah. with, <laughs> with spider Jameson, uh, in the background of the photo. It's yeah. just, so it's just basically, you know, the worst dad ever. Yeah. yeah. You know, he, he's like a full on like dance mom. Yeah. Like he's just pushing his kid, pushing his kid to, you know, to be this character. So, um, uh, then we have a, a brief aside where uh, Peter Parker comes in looking for a job uh, and Jameson, uh, he's like, uh, you don't have the talent, which he, I mean, he doesn't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know this. Uh, but then, um, you know, John uh, hears uh, that there is a rocket capsule that's coming back to Earth. Uh, same thing that has happened in Amazing Spider-Man number one in Earth 616. Um, and Jameson's like, Parker, come with me. You're going to take photos of this. John, you got to save those astronauts. Um, and he totally agrees because he knows he would have been the one flying that capsule yep. if he had stayed in the space program. Exactly. So, yeah. So in the original, uh, story in amazing Spider-Man number one, Spider-Man, uh, is able to, he, he, uh, hitches a ride on a, a military plane, uh, and then he web slings to the capsule. Um, he replaces the guidance thing, so the capsule is able to land safely. Um, this time, because Jameson's got powers and he's got a jetpack, he just flies up to to take care of business. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he doesn't grab a guidance, uh, a spare guidance unit. Um, he just tries to like brute force it, um, which works pretty well to a point and then he's out of fuel and then the rock yeah the jetpack runs out of fuel so uh then all he can do at that point is basically cushion the impact with his own body Mm -hmm. um and uh jj and peter parker arrive just in time uh for um uh john to die in his father's arms um and it's terribly sad yeah um so the Daily Bugle then pays for a giant bronze statue in yep. Central Park yep. of him. Uh, and they do a, a day of mourning. Um, and then we note, we do, uh, there was one note again in this story. Peter in every story picks up the dead spider. Yes. Yep. That's, regardless, he didn't become Spider-Man, but he picks up the spider. Yeah. In all three stories, um, after whoever got bit, he grabs a spider corpse. And so that leads us to the last little, you know, uh, 
tie up of the story, which is Peter Parker developing out of the last bits of venom in the spider, a serum Mm -hmm. and uh, giving himself the serum and then becoming the Spider-Man, basically the Spider-Man we know, of course, there's a number of things that have changed in the universes that all of these stories take place, but he becomes Spider-Man as we know him. Yeah. And the watcher tells us at the end of the story, you see then that it was destiny's plan for Peter Parker to become the amazing Spider-Man. Um, I'm not sure how Uatu is going to explain how Spider-Verse works, um, <laughs> given that. But, uh, you know, we will get there in like 25 years yeah. of this podcast. So grow old with us. Yeah. <laughs> Keep listening. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I like I don't know. I I, uh, I was really happy to do this as a kind of a quick and easy fill in episode. I think these stories are a lot of fun. Yeah. I think what if stories generally are just a ton of fun. Um, the more, you know, about the Marvel universe, the more you appreciate them, I think. So, yeah. Um, cons- <laughs> considering that we are taking such a deep dive, <laughs> yep. like this seemed like a very natural thing to do. And I, I, I would love to do more of these down the road. Like I'd love to do more episodes, um, as we have more and more Marvel history to like look back on and examine alternate realities of. So. I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, we, we've recounted to you listeners these stories already all the stories we're referencing in in these what if stories so it makes perfect sense that we can we should talk about these alternates that are happening yeah um it it would be great if they happened you know back in the 60s so we didn't have to jump out of you know the the time but as you know we have that ability yeah Um, we are time lords. Yeah, I don't think we will, even when we get to the late 70s, I don't think we'll cover what if in the regular episodes anyway, just because like they're not in continuity stories. Right. And God, by that point, we're going to be begging for excuses not to cover certain <laughs> we, stories. So. I don't even know what we'll be doing. Then. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, so yeah, if you like this episode um, and if there are uh, some other uh, particular favorite what if issues uh, that you remember that you'd like us to uh, focus in on uh, the next time we do one of these uh, drop us a line marvel by the month at gmail.com um and while you're doing that uh you might as well uh head over to instagram at marvel by the month and follow us there um for daily postings and all sorts of good fun um and uh for all other things uh hit us up uh marvel by the month.com on the internet we just put up the marvel by the month store yeah um so we have uh currently three designs up on there um we've got the marvel by the month logo we've got the uh stay inside and read comics uh, engraved mjolnir mm-hmm. uh, and then we've got uh this guy with like a uh, kind of a weird looking helmet um uh, a purple helmet it says uh, all my heroes devour planets i'm not yep. quite sure what that's all about <laughs> certainly doesn't infringe on anyone's copyrights um all of that stuff is fulfilled by threadless you can get it on like just about anything seriously shower like, curtains yeah duvet covers it, it's shirts throw pillows yeah yeah uh, <laughs> yeah you can also get it on t-shirts yeah. uh, or, or hoodies or um or you know phone cases whatever yep. um but yeah uh check it out if you see something you like um you know, pick it up and send a couple bucks our way. Um, so I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, you know, stay with us through limbo and we will be kicking off season three pretty soon. Next week, we're going to take a a detour into the pre Marvel cinematic universe, (laughs) a Um, cinematic universe. That is the pre Marvel cinematic universe. It's like an alternate cinematic (laughs) universe. Uh, yeah, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and then I think the next one we're going to do after that is our season two recap. Um, and then we get back on track with season three. So, 
Um, lots of good stuff coming up. Uh, please stick around um, and uh, yeah, let us know what you like, what you don't like, um, and uh, keep listening above all else. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Cool. Uh, so until next week, my name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Mill. And we'll see you next week for something. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> Woohoo!